Welcome in everybody, Wednesday night, 732, the Deep Dive Bible Study. My name is Tim. I'm the host of this channel, youtube.com slash Tim Live. I'm so glad that you are here, and we're going to get into one of the most encouraging portions of the book of Romans thus far. In fact, if you're going through something this week, if you're going through something this month, or this year, or this decade, and you're wondering, is God ever going to really do what he said he would do in my life? Is this ever going to change? Is this ever going to get fixed? This passage is for you. Welcome in to the Deep Dive. Deep Dive, Season 5, Episode 9, Romans Chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, verse 13, and uh, we're going to get there in just a moment, but it's so important that we look at the text verse by verse, because when we slow down, we really unpack all the things that God has for us, but uh, we're going to get there in just a moment. Let's pray. God, ask Father right now in Jesus' name that you will speak to us, our hearts will be open, our ears receptive, and our minds will be alert to what you want to say in Jesus' name, amen. Let's get into Romans. Roman through Romans, <laughs> Roman through Romans, Romans chapter 4. Take out your Bibles with me and join along as we go through this. We talked about this last week. Abraham is the prototype of faith, the prototype of faith. He is the illustration that Paul uses to talk about this big theological concept called justification by faith. And justification by faith is not this idea that, that God saves you from your sins so that you can just live as you want. No, it's that God gives you uh, a righteousness that you receive through faith in Jesus Christ. His righteousness, we talked about this two weeks ago, imputed to you through the Lord Jesus Christ, given to you as a free gift. It changes who you are. That's the righteousness of God. And a faith that believes is a faith that lives. A faith that believes is a faith that lives out what we believe in spite, I might add, of our failures. And we talked about this last time. Abraham had, Abraham had several failures along the way, but he persisted in faith. And Abraham reminds us of something very important. Faith, if we are honest, is a bumpy road. Amen? Faith, if we are honest, is a bumpy road. Okay, so raise your hand if you've ever had a bad week. Okay, raise the other hand if you've ever had a bad month. Raise both hands if you've ever had a bad year. Uh, raise everything up if you've ever had a bad decade. We, we, you know, you're going to have those. Uh, Abraham had two and a half bad decades, if I was to be absolutely honest. And we're going to go through that today a little bit more clearly uh, through the book of Genesis as well. But what we are taught through the life of Abraham is that, that when we are God's people, in spite of our fail, failures, flaws, foibles, you know, and, and frustrations, honestly, in spite of all those F's on our spiritual report card, God is faithful. That's the big F that trumps all of our little F's. And so let's get into the text one more time, just kind of rehearsing last episode's text here in verse 11 of Romans 4. He received the sign of his circumcision. We talked about the sign of circumcision is, is a modern day, like today is baptism. So he received the sign of circumcision as a seal this is a, it kind of closes the deal on the righteousness that he had by faith. So circumcision is the sign of the righteousness that he acquired by faith at, while he was still uncircumcised. And it says this, the purpose of all that was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. That is us, if you're not Jewish, the Gentiles so that righteousness would be counted to them at all as well. And that righteousness is a righteousness that turns us into disciples, that turns us into God's people, changes our hearts, uh, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of faith. Mm -hmm. The footsteps active, okay? So faith is not a one and done. Faith is not a put your hand up, say the prayer, move on with your life. Uh, 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 faith is not receive the Lord Jesus and then get baptized and then post your picture on Facebook of you getting baptized and enjoy all the likes and then kind of like, you know, kind of go to church once in a while, kind of be there, kind of be in the Word. No, faith is a walk, thus the phrase footsteps of faith in the text uh, that our father Abraham had before mm -hmm, he was circumcised. Again, the big emphasis is that the Jews in Rome needed to understand that through faith in Christ Jesus, they were on equal footing with the Gentiles. 
that says Gentiles. It looks like Gentibs, but it's Gentiles. And, and that's important because we have in the modern church still to this day, that divide, insider, outsider, who can be saved, uh, who, who can come into our church. You know, maybe you were raised like me in a church where everybody had to jump through a bunch of hoops to be considered part of the church because, you know, we tend to, as Christians, we tend to focus inward, not outward. And the gospel is there to challenge our hearts, to remind us that God came and got us, the ultimate insider, that is Jesus, who is in the very person of God, uh, emptied himself and became the outsider so that he could make all of us insiders. And so let's get into Romans chapter four, uh, verse 11, I'm sorry, Romans four, verse 13, when Paul is going to start talking about the promise and the power of God that saves us. Mark that language, the promise and the power of God that saves us. And we're going to get there uh, right now to what it meant. All right, so picking it up, verse 13 of Romans chapter four, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is the adherence, it is the adherence of the law who are to be the heirs, I'm sorry, for if it is the adherence of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. In other words, if God gives only to those who are good enough, then faith doesn't matter because it's then just a personal quest to be good enough to get God's goodies. And that is not Christian faith. He says, verse 15, for the law brings wrath. Please mark that in your Bibles. The law brings what? Wrath. Now, there's a very simple illustration of this. If you have kids and they're old enough to go out and then they come home late and you didn't specify a time for them to come home and you kind of just get mad that they're late, that's one thing. But then when you say, I want you home by 11 and they come home at 1 a.m., now, now you've you remember now you've set the law. You said the law was 11. They come home at one. Now they have truly transgressed the law. And now they have flaunted your law, your rules. And that is what the law does all the time. When we are under law, all that it really does first primarily is it brings the wrath of God because we only learn how far we have fallen short of God's glorious standard. Then he says, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Okay, so what is he saying? He's saying that the law first does what the law is supposed to do, and that is it's supposed to annihilate our self-confidence. It's supposed to destroy any sense of religiosity in us because without God's grace, we aren't saved. And we will never look to God's grace if we don't realize just how poorly we're doing on our spiritual report card. Amen? And so what I like to do on the deep dive too, and this is what this format really provides. You would, I would never do this on like a Sunday morning at my church, but this is what this format provides. I want to go a little bit deeper into what the, uh, the commentators do with Romans 4 because I think it is a really cool outline here in Romans 4 to kind of remind us about justification by faith in a theological context that is section by section. Let me let me put it on the screen to illustrate two great commentators of the last century, Douglas Moo and Warren Rearsby. And by the way, if you've never read anything by Warren Rearsby, I highly suggest that you read it. But I want to put their 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 outlines for chapter four of Romans on the screen. Douglas Moo says verses three to eight deals with faith apart from works. Verses nine to twelve, faith apart from circumcision. Verses thirteen to sixteen, faith apart from the law. Verses 17 to 21, faith apart from sight. So what what God is looking for is not works, not circumcision, not law abiding, not sight in your life. In other words, that there's a faith he wants to produce in your heart. He wants to give to you. He wants to produce out of you and build into you that is distinct from religiosity, distinct from religious ceremony, that's circumcision, distinct from good personism, and distinct from what you see. And then I love Warren Rearsby's outline. He says that we are justified by faith, not works. We are justified by grace, not law. And we are justified by, now this is the one I like, God's power, not human effort. 
good news for anybody who's ever tried to change themselves. You are not justified by your effort. Therefore, how can you possibly think that you are sanctified by your effort? You are not justified by your effort. Therefore, how could you possibly think that you are sanctified by your effort? In other words, if you're not made right with God by your own effort, but rather by God's power, which we're going to talk about here in this passage, how then can you rely on your own effort to become a better follower of Jesus? The point is from this text and why Abraham has to be the prototype is because we see a man who is transformed as he trusts God in spite of all of his flaws and mistakes. And then as he does so over time, he becomes this giant of faith. Good news for you if you want greater faith. We're going to talk to you today about how you get greater faith. You got to put away religiosity, put away good personism, put away what you understand and think and see, put away the law and all these things that you think can make you a better person and live by faith in what God is able to do and who God is. And it will transform you. It will transform you. So let's get into verse, uh, where do we leave off? We left off with verse 15. So let's get into verse 16. Yeah. So that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Now look at the notation here. Okay. Not only to the adherent of the law, that is the Jew, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham who is the father of us all. As it is written, now the promise, remember from Genesis 12, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Now what Paul is stipulating here again is that all nations, okay, this is important, huge for you, that he is the father of many, he's not just the father of the Jews, he's the father of every person from every nation who trusts in his true son, Jesus Christ. And then the descriptor that Paul gives us in the presence of God in whom he believed. Now who, that is God, God who gives what? Gives life to the dead. Who are the dead? You were the dead. Ephesians chapter 2, as for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you used to walk, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. You know, you were just like everybody else. You were sons of disobedience. But God made you alive, and he gives life to the dead. We're going to see from the life of Abraham how that was illustrated in Sarah and himself. And what else does God do? He calls, that is, he speaks into existence the things that do not exist. The word is ex nil he o, and I don't think I'm spelling that right, but that's the thing about a live show. I'm just going to put it out there. Uh, ex nilio means out of nothing. Is the Latin word for out of nothing. And what does what does this text teach? Oh, it's so good. I hope you pay attention here. It teaches that our that our salvation is illustrated in the creation narrative. Because what happens in creation? What happens in Genesis chapter 1? And God said, and there was. God speaks and life comes up. Light comes out, right? This is the the text. This is the language of our salvation. Why do I bring that up? Why do I get excited about that? Here's why I get excited about it. As a gospel preacher, one of the most frustrating things a gospel preacher can fall into is feeling the need to uh, wow the audience, illustrate with the tear-jerking closing sermon illustration, and get hyped up enough about the text to make sure that people are going to be you know, responsive to the text and get saved. And so many preachers, including this guy many years ago, fall into the trap of, I've got to impress them into Jesus. I've got to make sure that I say it in such a way that they are going to not not be able to resist the message of Jesus. And I'll tell you something. A preacher can make a ton of false, <laughs> false converts by living like that and acting like that and believing like that and preaching like that. Because they can convert not to Christ, but to your charisma. And that is not a disciple. Um... 
I think that the archetype example of this is John the Baptist. When the scriptures teach about John the Baptist, it talks about how he did everything the opposite of what a personality, a, 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 a attractive personality should do. He goes into the desert. He eats locusts. He wears camel hair and a leather belt. He probably didn't wash and he probably didn't shave. <laughs> And yet what he does is he preaches the word and it says all of Judea and the surrounding countryside came out to hear him preach because this is what Gen this is what uh, Genesis 1 points to, but it's also now what Romans 4 talks about, which is that God calls into existence the things that do not exist. In other words, his word brings life. Oh, what joy for the gospel preacher who gets a hold of this. Oh, what joy and relief for the expositor of the word of God, i.e. me and any pastor worth his weight, to know that I present the word, I give you the word, and the word goes into your ear, into your heart, and brings life from the dead. Now, please, one note I have to make about this text while it's on my mind. Notice that he says it is God who uh, calls into existence the things that do not exist. There is a false gospel movement called the prosperity gospel that believes that it is our job to call into, uh, we can call into existence the things do, that do not exist. So there's all these false teachers that say, so you just, you just say to that empty garage, I declare there's going to be a brand new car in that empty garage. That's garbage. Okay, please do not, do not do that. And you say, well, pastor, uh, it says there that he gives life to the dead. That is, he raises the dead. Well, didn't the disciples raise people from the dead? Yeah, they did through the name of Jesus. Go back to Acts chapter three, when Peter heals the lame man and they're all like looking at Peter and he says, do you think we did this by our own strength and our own effort as if by our righteousness, this man was made well? He says, no, I tell you it was in the name of Jesus whom you crucified that the, that the lame man is made well. And when Peter raises Tabitha from the dead, he puts everybody outside the room. Why does he do that? Because he's trying to tell, send a message that if this daughter comes back to life again, it is God, it is not me. I don't want you to look at me. I want you to look at God. And so over and over again, Again, we are commanded or, or commended in Scripture to, to put our faith not in ourselves as if we can drum up enough faith to produce amazing things, but we are putting our faith in the God who calls into existence the things that do not presently exist and who gives life to the dead and speaks life into existence so that we are relieved from the need to try to persuade, to try to charisma, to try to entertain people into the faith. No. We are simply agents by who transmit the word of God into people's ears and life comes into existence. Isn't that, isn't that not exciting? Like if you're a gospel preacher out there and your trust is in how well you deliver the sermon instead of how clearly you enunciate the word of God, um, you need to do a gut check. Christians who don't preach, like non non preaching Christians or non pastors, like just how about just Christians? You say I, I have a hard time, I have a hard time convincing people of Jesus. It's not your job to convince people that Jesus is the way. It's your job to be a witness to tell people what you have seen and heard of Jesus, how he has changed your life to be. That's what a witness does. A witness tells people what they've seen and heard, and so take the pressure off of you to be the great arguer, the great debater, the great, you know, the great influencer. That's no, that's nonsense. Another way that we uh, falsely believe or uh, diminish the power of the word of God is when we think like this, Christians do this all the time. When a celebrity gets saved, all the Christians get excited that think, okay, now because this celebrity, this important person got saved, all these people are going to get saved. Like when Kanye West got saved a couple of years ago, it came very public and I was, I was very pleased. I'm, ha I'm happy when a celebrity gets saved. No Christian wants anyone to go to hell. No one to go to hell, right? So it's wonderful when a celebrity gets saved, but do you know something? That celebrity getting saved is not going to convince people to get saved. If somebody gets saved because Kanye West says he's saved, then the faith of that person is not in the God who speaks life into existence uh, out of the dead, but in the experience of Kanye West. And when Kanye West does what all Christians do and he fails and he gets divorced, like he has already gotten divorced since he's been saved, the faith that was in Kanye West will fail. But faith that is in the word of God does not fail. Listen to that again. 
Faith that is in the word of God does not fail. He speaks, he speaks life into existence. Amen. So this is also hearkening back to Hosea chapter 2, verse 23. Hosea prophesying, he says, I will have mercy and no mercy. I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. He's talking about the Gentiles. The people who I called not my people, I'm going to say, you are now my people. By the way, Peter picks up on this in 1 Peter 2.10. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you would not receive mercy, now you have received mercy. See, the New Testament writers are picking up on these themes. Whenever you read the New Testament, understand it is commentary on the Old Testament. Whenever you read the New Testament, it's commentary on the Old Testament. So Peter's like, I'm sorry, first, Paul is sitting here in four, Romans 4 saying that he calls into existence the things that do not exist and brings life from the dead. And now Peter also picks up on that and says, oh yeah, hearkening back to Hosea when God said he will call a people who are not his people, his people. As soon as God names you, he owns you. He takes charge of you. He takes, he takes ownership of you. And this is the hope of our salvation. We got to move on. Verse 18, in hope he believed against hope. Now, oh, I'm going to unpack this text because this is a beautiful text. This is back to Abraham. In hope he believed against hope. What does that mean? We're going to get to that in just, a second, in just a second. That he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. That is a reference to when God says, look up at the stars of the heavens and you will see. That's how your offspring is going to be. Can you number the stars? That's what your offspring are going to be looking, looking like. Okay. In hope, Abraham believed against hope. What does that mean? The New Living Translation provides a very simple definition. By the way, here's a Bible study tip. If you ever get tripped up in your translation, just switch translations. Now, not every translation is great, but I will say that I, I am a big fan of the ESV, the New Living Translation, the NIV, the New King James Version, the Message Version, paraphrase. It's not a version, it's paraphrase. Uh, I'm a fan of the King James Version. You know, I'm the guy that all the real deep, you know, camp Bible guys don't like because I'm like, I love them all. I'm, I'm, I'm pro multiple translations because it's helpful to help. It helps us understand the word. So go to the New Living Translation of this verse and it says this, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. Can I ask you a question? Have you ever had a time in life that is like that? When you did not have a reason to hope and the, the only thing that you could do was keep hoping. This child will never come back to faith. This marriage will never get better. Right, I will never find someone. I will never get that job. Stop with the nevers, by the way. That is not hoping against hope. That is hoping. That is, that is disbelief. Believe even when you don't have reason to believe. That's what Abraham did, and he is the prototype. And, and, and so God, God waited, and this is important, uh, for Abraham to almost have every reason to lose hope. Now, let's not miss this. And that's, what's, that's what Paul's going to say in verse 19. He says, he did not, that's Abraham, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. He did not weaken in faith, two things that he considered. First, his own body, which was as good as dead. Remember, that's a key term here in this verse, in this chapter, since he was about 100 years old, because 100-year-old dudes don't get ladies pregnant. Okay, don't have to be a biologist to understand that. It's just a fact. And he also considered, two things he considered, the barrenness of Sarah's womb. So two facts that Abraham faced. His body was as good as dead, and his wife's womb was barren. And barrenness in the ancient world was a shameful condition. Mark that for just a moment. It was a shameful condition. And God had Abraham wait 25 years. 75 years old to 100 years old. You at, seven, at 75, you're not able to have children as a man. And God makes him wait 25 years. And I just want to put this up on the screen for you. God waited for Abraham to be utterly impotent. Figuratively, spiritually, and genealogically. He is utterly impotent. And Sarah's womb is a tomb. These are key phrases. Sarah's womb is a tomb. 
It is a, and, 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 and so God, <laughs> this is beautiful now. Hang on. God puts supernatural life in the tomb of Sarah's womb. Why did he do that? So that Abraham could be a visual representation of our salvation. We are saved by the power of God, not by human effort. And God brings life from dead places, from the tomb of Sarah's womb, and centuries later, from a tomb in a garden near Gethsemane. It's just, this is how the Bible comes together, guys. This is how the Bible comes together. It is beautiful. It is so powerful. So, God causes this man to wait until he is utterly impotent. And can I suggest to you that he will do the same for you? He will, he will do the same in your life. He will cause you to wait until you are out of options. You have exhausted all of your strength. You have exhausted all of your ability. And this is why a lot of people, they don't come to Christ until every other venture that they chase down proves empty or destructive, right? That's just how it happens because we are not saved by our own human effort. We are saved by the power of God. Let's continue in the text. Verse 20, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. In other words, this idea Abraham had some unbelief. Yeah, unbelief attacks everybody. Jesus said to the disciples, be no longer unbelieving or be no longer doubting, he said to Thomas, but be believing. So unbelief is going to attack you. It's going to come for you. It's going to be there when you wake up and the promise is still not fulfilled, when things are still not going well. But this is what you've got to do. You got to do what Abraham did. You don't let a unbelief make you waver concerning the promise of God. Let me just say it like this. Don't let what you feel isn't going to happen stop you from trusting what God said would happen in his word. So that's what this text is saying. So no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Please don't miss that either. As he gave glory to God. Okay, so he grew strong in his faith. Mm-hmm. Key term, as he gave glory to God. What's one thing that a Christian can do when things don't look good? You can glorify God. You can glorify God right where you are. You can resolve to say, Father, I don't know what you're doing. I'm not in charge. I, I want this. I'm not getting it. But you are God, and I want you to get glory out of this place in my life that I currently hate. That's how you live a life of faith. Because faith that, because faith that is based on the circumstances, that's not faith. That's emotions. Faith does not base its status on what it sees and what it experiences. It bases its status on what God has said. And you say, God, get glory out of my barrenness. God, get glory out of my sickness. God, get glory out of my my situation right now. And it's going to build your faith. Verse 21, going on, he was fully convinced that God was able... So he gave glory to God. His, he grew strong in his faith, and then he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why faith was counted to him as righteousness. Uh, the New Living Translation of verse 20, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. Okay, so the New Living, again, says a little bit differently. Um, I'm a big fan here of the ESV. As I said, that's my primary Bible translation to study. But I believe that when we face obstacles that we create or others create around us or even God puts into our lives, because he will, he'll put obstacles. In you. You don't think, if you don't think God puts obstacles into people's lives, ask Jonah, because he got a storm, <laughs> he got a whale, and he was vomit. Okay, he was, God made him to be vomit, to put an obstacle in his way to say, you're going to do what I said to, you, you said, sent you to do. So Abraham goes through these, these 25 years, and through those 25 years, he is given reason after reason after reason to distrust the promise. 
Let me list them for you. He gets the call at Genesis 12. He goes to the promised land and immediately there's a famine. A famine so bad he has to move. He has to leave. He has to go back to Egypt. He, no, not back. He goes down to Egypt. And then he fails to trust God in Egypt and he sells out his wife as a sister to sell her off to the Pharaoh as his, as his sister so that he can spare his life. That's failing. As soon as he's back in the land, he has a quarrel with Lot. So now he's arguing with his family. As soon as Lot and he separate, Lot is captured by Abraham's enemies and Abraham has to fight in a bloody war to rescue Lot. And Lot goes right back to his sin after he fights for Lot's deliverance. Has anybody ever been in these situations? Have you ever, have you ever failed? Have you ever tr- distrusted God? Have you ever been through a famine? Have you ever seen family members frustrate you? I mean, this is, is, if this is not relevant to you, check your pulse. <laughs> then, then 25 years of waiting since the promise, he fails to trust God by impregnating Hagar. Actually, not 25 years. It was about, uh, I want to say, 16 years, I think, or 11 years. He fails to trust God by impregnating Hagar, that's Sarah's uh, servant, and produces Ishmael, who the Arabs claim as the true child of promise, and the Jews claim Isaac. And to this day, the entire world is divided, Jew and Palestinian or Jew and Arab, on Abraham's lack of trusting God because those two great nations are still at odds to this day. Anyway, that's for another discussion. At 99, God reiterates the promise to him that a son will come to him through Sarah and at 99, he does what everybody else would do and I'm doing right now. He laughs. He laughs at Abraham laughed at God. And then he waits a little bit longer and once again, during that last final year of waiting, He sells out his wife as his sister again to save his own neck from Abimelech. So he began doing that sin and he concluded doing that sin. Some people never change. Am I talking to anybody? And God gives him a son a year later after he laughed and tells him to name him Isaac, which means laughter, which means God gets the last laugh. Amen. (laughs) Do do you see how cool the Bible is? This is? This is how it works, guys. We fail, we get frustrated, we have our faults, we fight through, we face enormous frustrations, but the one F that trumps all of our other Fs is faith. God, I've messed up, but I believe you forgive. God, I'm not where I wanna be, but I believe you can use this season. God, I'm not sure where I'm going, but I'm trusting that you're leading me. See, these are what, this is why you study the scriptures. It brings hope because everyone goes through these things. In fact, I want to say something as clear as I can to every Christian listening to me right now. The only way that you grow in faith is through testing. The only way you grow in faith is through testing. In fact, let's put it on the screen. How does faith grow strong? Faith only grows in testing. <laughs> James 1.3, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So I want steadfast faith. Okay, testing. Or as 1 Peter 1.7 says, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, mm, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Peter is talking to exiles, people who have been ripped from their homes and displaced in a foreign nation, and they are suffering, and they are being excommunicated, and they don't have family, and they're in a strange land, and they don't know what they are doing. And he says, this is a trial, this is a test, and God has done this to purify your faith and grow you. And that is what some of you need to hear right now. As Job 23.10 says, he knows the way that I take, and when he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. Stop looking at your life as if everybody around you is out to get you, and start looking at your life the way God sees it. Your life is going to be stronger. Your faith is going to get deeper. Your hope is going to get more sure. Your character is going to develop through all the things that seem to be pushing against you right now because the only way faith grows is 
in testing. I, a lot of Christians, oh, I want more faith. I want more faith. And then you say, God, give me more faith. And it says, okay, since you haven't bothered to read the Bible and learn that I put my people through testing to grow their faith, now I'm going to give you a test. <laughs> and then we wake up like five days. Away. Why is God letting this happen to me? Because you prayed for more faith. That's why. Let me put some more text on the, uh, on the screen because it's important. Faith on the goes through testing. Psalm 66.10. For you, O God, have tested us. Okay. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet, this is the promise, you have brought us out to a place of abundance. Mm. I've been through the testing. I've been through the crushing. I've been through the fire and the water. And God has grown me and developed me and blessed me. Proverbs 17, 3, the crucible is for silver, the furnace is for gold, and the Lord tests the heart. The only way gold gets more valuable, the only way silver gets more valuable is through these purging fires. And the only way, this is so important, the only way your faith gets stronger is through the purging fires of the trials of life. Now, there is something I want to address about Abraham because he grows. This is what the text just said. He grew in faith as he did not waver through the 25 years of waiting. And you might be there. And you might be pushed. It's like the old illustration of the, of the man trying to push the boulder up the hill. And he wasn't getting anywhere. wasn't going anywhere. And he pushed and he pushed and he pushed for years. And he said, I've pushed on this boulder for years and nothing has happened. And someone came by and said, but look at your muscles. They're stronger now. Look at your legs. They're firmer now. Look at how your hands have grown callous. You are, you are able to handle more now than ever before. Sometimes you're pushing in life, pushing in life, pushing in life, and nothing's moving. But it doesn't mean you're not growing. Now, when Abraham grows in faith and he finally does get that promise, we get an illustration of what the life of faith looks like. And this is, this is where the rubber hits the road, Christians, because what happens? Genesis chapter 21, Abraham finally gets a son through Sarah. And Genesis 22, the very first words, the very first phrase in the text, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on the one of the mountains I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Wow. He followed God's word when it didn't seem like it was going to make sense. But do you understand what he had done? Do you understand what he had experienced? He experienced growing faith. And he was able to sacrifice. He was able to offer Isaac because he already learned the lesson through Sarah that God brings life out of the dead. And that's why Hebrews would tell you this. Hebrews would say that he, he was convinced that God was able to bring life from the dead. Hebrews chapter 11, 17. 17 to 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he would receive the promise, was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac, your offspring shall be named. He considered, there's an, that, that word is coming back. It was in Romans 4. We'll get there in just a moment. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So the point here is that God gave Abraham a lesson through the 25 years of waiting, that I can bring life out of dead places so that when God puts him into the test of giving up Isaac in death, he goes, okay, you're going to have to raise the dead again. You're going to have to bring life from the dead again, God. Let me tell you how this applies to you as a Christian. Because once you become a Christian, God is going to develop things in you to believe him for, don't miss this, that you will have to experience again and again and again and again in life. I'm a pastor of a church. I'm a pastor of a, a large church with several locations. And I will tell you this. It is always <laughs> nerve-wracking uh, when, when we go through seasons where the money is tight, when the, uh, we want to do more ministry than there is money for, when it seems like the people don't get what we're trying to do to reach souls. And, and, this, and, it's, and I'll give you an example. On many occasions, no, 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 no. I would even go so far as to say as on every occasion where we have taken a step of faith to extend ourselves financially and either purchase property or move or start a new location, 
I would, I would venture to say in every situation where we did that, God took away a big giver. <laughs> I mean, it, it happens so regularly. We kind of like laugh about it. It's, he, it's become our Isaac because we're like, of course, of course this is going to happen. And, and, and sometimes before things get better in the promises of God, they're going to get worse so that you strengthen the muscles of faith. And we have learned through the seasons. I, I pastored through the 2008 financial crisis and we saw our offerings not in decrease but increase and then they decreased dramatically about a year later and we pastored through and we were on the verge of re, you know rethinking and, and maybe sending somebody else back to secular work and you know cutting things out and all this stuff no press on and god has brought in the right people and brought in the right resources at just the right time to give us what we need to see his word come to pass i don't know who i'm talking to that needs to hear this but there's a great chance that you're going to have to believe i'm sorry you're going to have to learn to believe god for x right now because there's going to be a season of a bigger x in 10 to 20 years and he needs that muscle developed in you he needs that muscle developed in you. And by the way, you need that muscle developed in you. So let's put this back on the screen. This is Hebrews eleven seventeen, where it says he considered, a uh, 19, he considered that God was able to raise him from the dead. Remember what Romans four nineteen says, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body. So what is he, what, this, the word considered here in our English Bibles, I'm not sure it's the same word in Greek, but it's just for the sake of illustration in our English Bibles that he considers his own body as dead, but he learned to consider God brings life from the dead. And here's the point. You grow in faith as you consider what God can do is greater than what you can't do. You grow in faith as you consider, as you learn to believe and receive and trust that what God can do is always greater than what you can't do. And if you don't get this, you will be stuck in a half-hearted, lame Christian experience where you only believe God for this much when he wants to do so much more in your life. He wants to do so much more in your life. Uh, I, I got to continue or we'll never get done with this text. Verse 23, it says, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So what is he doing? He's wrapping it all up here. He's wrapping it all up and he's saying, uh, this all that was written and all that we see about Abraham was not, okay, not just for him, it was for you, dear Christian, it's for you, so that you learn to trust that God can bring life from the dead. Let me address anybody here right now who's listening to me and you're doubting your salvation and you think, am I really saved? Because look at all the mistakes I've made. Abraham, I bring you back to Abraham. He sold out his wife, Sarah, in the first year of his, of his calling. He sold out his wife, Sarah, in the last year of his waiting for Isaac. Okay, he committed the same transgression 24 years apart. Some of you have got that same thing, that same struggle, that same issue, the same anger issue, that same uh, unforgiveness issue, that same jealousy issue, that same insecurity, that same, I don't know, name it, right? And it's just the same thing. And you're like, I can't understand that I'm a Christian. I thought I'd be better than this by now. You're trusting in your moral performance and you're not trusting in God's promise. And you say, but doesn't, doesn't God promise to change us? Yes, he does. And he changed Abraham, but it took two and a half decades. It might take longer for you. I don't know. It took Moses 40 years. Moses wanted to deliver Israel by his own hand and he killed the Egyptians. And God, so God sent them out into the wilderness for 40 years to take care of sheep that weren't his, to teach him. You're not going to do it, Abraham, Moses. I'm going to do it. And through the mighty acts of God's power over Egypt, God, through Moses, delivers the people of Israel. It took him four decades. It might take you four decades. It might take you five decades. I don't know. But anyway, back to our text. Let's wrap this up real quick. Uh, Jesus is our true Isaac. He is. He is our true Isaac because he is the one that was born to a woman unable to produce children, just like Sarah. Unable to produce children. Isaac comes. Centuries later, there's a little virgin named Mary. And God says, 
you're going to conceive and have a baby and he will be the son of the most high God. And she says, what? How will this be? He says, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And finally, Jesus is the true Isaac in that he was raised to life again, having been put to death. So when we look at Abraham's story, we are looking at the gospel. And this is important for us because we are the people through whom or in whom God brings life out of dead things. Powerful. So what it means. All right, what does it mean? Romans chapter 14 through 25. It means a number of things. Number one, faith in God's power, not ability, not our ability is what saves. So you've got to stop trying to be a Christian. I cannot tell you how many times I hear this from people. Are you a Christian? Well, I'm trying. Nope. Er, stop. You can't try. You are, you are either a Christian or not. This is why people put off baptism until they think they're good. Okay, this is just a fool's errand. It's works righteousness. It's your power. You're trusting in your power. You get baptized because you believe Jesus Christ rose from the dead for you. You get baptized because you believe you're a sinner and you need a savior. You don't get baptized because you have been a good Christian for 20 years. <sighs> it's so important that we get these terms right. Terms right. Anyway, faith is tested only to grow stronger. That's what we've already talked about. But that's what Abraham models for us. He gets stronger as he is tested. Number three, when tested, embrace it. Don't chase it. Don't, don't, you know, don't withdraw from the testing. Some of you right now need to identify your life. This is a test. This is only a test. God is bringing you through. God is making you stronger. Number four, God is faithful to change, develop, and transform you. He will not stop doing this until you die. He will not stop doing this until you die. That's why you're always going to have something. You're always going to be looking at something and say, well, I wish this was changed in my life. Yeah, yeah, God does too. And it's going to be a process and it's going to be a transformation. But please learn to rest in his power. Here's how I tell people all the time about transformation, sanctification. Very simple prayer. Holy Spirit, help me. Holy Spirit, help me. I, and you can be honest with God. I want to do this. I know it's wrong. I am tempted. You know I'm weak. You understand I'm dust help me. And right now, in the name of Jesus, I receive the power of the Holy Spirit to say no to what is wrong and sinful and say yes to what is godly. Okay, I hope that helps. Let's get into why it matters. Why it matters. Do you know why it matters? Let me tell you why it matters. Because in this text, we learn that God is still God in the questions. <laughs> in the question of life. I started this text uh, episode by saying you're going through a season and this is the one for you. This is the episode for you because if you're going through the season of hardship, you're going through the season of testing, this is the one for you because the answers, the que- I'm sorry, the questions that you are asking are answered in this text. Let's take a look at them one at a time. God and the questions. Number one, is God faithful in spite of my faults and failures? Yes. Was he faithful to Abraham? Yes. What did Abraham do? Did he, did he get better? He got stronger. He got stronger believing that God would produce in him a promised son in spite of his faults and failures. Second question, is God patiently working through everything to save me? And the answer there as well is yes. God is working through the ups and the downs, the ins and the outs to save you. Is this hard moment a test of my faith? Yes. And because it is a test of your faith, you can have courage and confidence to know you're going to grow if you do not lose heart. You see, you've got to just, sometimes you just got to stay faithful. Sometimes, as the disciples learned on the Sea of Galilee that night, you just have to stay in the boat. You just have to stay in the boat. And Jesus is going to get you through that storm. And number four, will there be challenges ahead? Yes, I've already talked about that. Uh, X challenge in your 20s will be X challenge in your 40s times a million. But you'll be stronger as you continue to trust God. What must I do right now? Believe and trust Jesus. That's the answer right now. Right now, you are asked by God to believe and trust in him. Bonus question. <laughs> and this is where we break it down, why it matters. Your, your, personal illustra- your personal application. What is your Isaac? What is your Isaac? Because 
your Isaac is what Abraham was so desperately waiting for. He was waiting for a son. He was waiting for, and this is what a son represented in the ancient world, and it still represents in our modern world. A son represents the future of your name, right? The son carries the name. More often than not, 99.99999% of the time, the wife takes the husband's name. Well, the husband, the son, perpetuates your name, your future. Here's what your Isaac is. Are you ready for it? Your, your Isaac is your future. Whatever you're counting on, let me say it in your personal language. My Isaac is my future. Whatever I'm counting on to make me secure and significant, my Isaac could be the marriage I waited for, the child I prayed for, the job I longed for, or the lifestyle I aimed for. But if it becomes my God, I've misplaced it in my heart. And that is probably the most important part of this episode, guys. Because this is why God does say to Abraham, give me Isaac now. I gave you him, now you give him back. And Abraham said yes. And some of you have got to do that with your life. God, you gave me life, you gave me this salvation, you gave me Jesus, you gave me who I am, you gave me everything. Now it's yours. And that is, that is the last, I think, great stage of faith uh, called surrender. Can you give up what God has given you? Put it in his hand and trust him with it. And say, Father, everything that I have is yours. And I give it to you. I give it to you. If you do that, you will grow. And you will experience the joy of a life of faith. Amen. Thanks for tuning in, guys. I'm so glad that you were here. Check us out at TimHatchLive.com. TimHatchLive, all the social media channels. There's stuff for sale on the website. 10 questions with Tim. You can send your questions to ask at timhashlive.com first Thursday of every month or your comments below. Uh, if you would do me a solid favor and support the channel, that'd be great. You can give through PayPal. You can give through the Cash App. All your giving helps us continue to fund the channel. I don't make a salary from this show, but the money needed to continue to expand the show would help if you could do that. I'm so glad that you were here. Make sure that you check out the Deep End next Tuesday night. I'm your humble host, Tim Hatch, at youtube.com slash Tim Hatch Live. God bless you guys. Bye.